It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Today, Joy Harjo is the first Native American to be appointed by the Library of Congress as Poet Laureate of the United States. She is now the nation's official poet. In 1975, while still a college student at the University of New Mexico, Joy published her first book of poems called The Last Song. In 1983, when her poem, She Had Some Horses, gained acclaim, one critic called it a literary event of importance. Joy has now published eight celebrated collections of poetry. Her work underscores the hardships endured by her ancestors and the social injustices facing Native Americans still today. Her evocative writing has been described as instructions for the soul. As a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation, Joy is considered the first lady of American Indian poetry. She teaches creative writing all over the country, including the University of Colorado, Arizona State, and UCLA. Joy's new volume, An American Sunrise, is inspired by her tribal history and her spiritual connection to their land. So welcome to Super Soul Sunday in my garden. It is so beautiful. Yes. I love you arriving saying that you could sense that the flowers are happy here. Yeah. Yeah. They are. I think they are. So you're the first Native American, the first ever, and the 13th woman in 82 years to be appointed as the United States Poet Laureate, the nation's official poet. Did you see that coming? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> didn't see it coming. No. So how does that call? What is that? I wonder what that phone call is like. Well, I was told to call a number and because they had a quick question. Yeah. And so I called, and next thing I, I hear, we're all here. It's you know, we're all here. It's us. We got the speakerphone on, and then here's Carla Hayden, the head librarian of the largest library in the world, asking me, "We want you to be the." 23rd U.S. Poet Laureate. What does that mean for you to be named America's Poet, for you to be named America's Poet? The first thing that came to mind was it honors Native people. Yes. And my ancestors, and the ancestors that, that feed the poetry, that feed, um, that have kept us alive. 
Mm -hmm. and thriving through all of it. Yes. Reminds me of what you're saying of what my friend Maya Angelou, who you actually met. Yes, I did. Yes. Says in her poem to our grandmothers where she says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000, meaning you're never alone. Anything that obviously happens to you happens because it's been, the, the road has been paved for yes. you by, you know, thousands of ancestors. Yes. I see that in po every poem has several ancestors behind it, mm -hmm. just as every, I think being a teenage mother, and I had, so I had children early. Yes, I And know. then a, a grandmother in my 30s, mm -hmm. and now I'm a great-grandmother. Mm -hmm. And seeing that, I watch how, not only how we're moving forward, but it's enabled me to understand or see better the kind of the ancestral field where they're all, you start to see that it's all one large, connected field or like mm -hmm. a story matrix that we're all connected and they're there. You see that nobody, nobody dies. You see them coming up through the eye, in the eyes of the children. You see all these gifts being passed on as, as the history too, which can be difficult to bear. Yes, and how do you see it? History, we're always in conversation with history. Even these plants, you know, yes. are in conversation with history. We all are. In 2012, Joy published her gripping memoir, Crazy Brave. The San Francisco Chronicle described it as gritty, mystical, and reads like a sacred prayer. Joy's childhood in rural Oklahoma was filled with trauma. She adored but also feared her alcoholic father. Later, she says, she suffered abuse at the hands of her controlling stepfather, who kicked her out of the house at just 16 years old. So you say, though we have instructions and a map buried in our hearts, when we enter this world, nothing quite prepares us for the abrupt shift to the breathing realm. Do you actually remember your, your entering? You write in this beautiful memoir, Crazy Brave, about how your mother's music allowed you to enter and you were called by the, by the music. Do you remember it? I remember I had a rough birth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it wasn't a real easy birth. It was I kind of fought for 2 days and they didn't think I would live. So I have that kind of I know that I struggled, but I can't remember. I can remember being an infant moments of being an infant and remembering that I struggled with even wanting to stay here as an infant. Yes, because it seemed everything, I could feel everything. And it's not just me, all children feel everything. Yes, I know that. And the burden of it. And I thought, how am I going to move through this? And it, it felt like too much. Yes, you know, it's interesting, all those years of talking to so many people during the Oprah show, I came to understand that we all come in to the birth space trailing the breath of the angels. We all come in knowing, mm -hmm. and we all come in with that yes. knowing. And depending on where you are and what your culture is, you lose it quickly. And some cultures more quickly than others, because even when you are still in touch with that other world, people tell you, oh, no, you're not. You know, they try to tell you that what you see and what you yeah. feel and what you hear isn't really real. Babies know. I've yes. been at the births of as many of my kids, well, my kids, of course, yeah. my, kids, grand, your my kids. grandchildren, and someone always comes in with them. I've seen usually some ancestor, somebody, an ancestor, is comes along with them to help them, and I watch how they remember everything. They will look at me like, okay, 
I remember you, and they'll even smile when they're not supposed to be smiling. The babies. Yes, and then you watch, that's what all that sleeping, you know, babies sleep so much because they have to adjust and they start forgetting. Ah. And every once in a while they'll remember. And I think when you get older, like uh, a lot of us are, yeah. <laughs> you start that remembering again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It becomes more present. You know, a lot of people will think we're crazy and not just crazy brave uh, having this conversation. But when I realized that this was true mm -hmm. about babies, because I did a book years ago on the show called The Spiritual Life of Children uh -huh. and, uh, you know, had multiple conversations about it. I started acknowledging babies differently because mm -hmm. I'd always just like, oh, they're babies. They don't know. They actually know more than anyone yeah, else. That's right. They know everything. That's right. They know everything. And you were one of those babies who was particularly sensitive, so you could feel and know and uh, be in touch with the knowing at a very early age. Do you remember the first time the knowing actually spoke to you? You call it the knowing in Crazy yeah. Brave. Well, I know you could also say I was high-strung and difficult. Like yes. My mother used to call me high-strung. But the knowing is that sense, it's that we all have it. It's either our, our guardian or one of our guardians, mm -hmm. or it's, it's, it lives, it's within all of us. The plants know about it very well. It's like um, a sensor that we all have right in here that we know when we're going in the right direction, we know when something is off. Yours we is know. strong though, yours is really strong, right? I, 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 I don't know how to, Judge. I, it is how, how would you yeah. know? How would you know? <laughs> would I, yeah. yeah. But in, in reading Crazy Brave, which I am not going to be able to do justice, I think I could talk about it all day long, but it's so beautifully, lyrically, poetically expressed that you just need to read it for yourself. But I remember specifically when you were going off with a boy mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. the knowing the voice said to you, you're going to be in trouble or you are going to be in danger? Yes. Yeah. So it like speaks out loud to you. It does, I think. And you know, our lives are stories really of what when we didn't listen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So all of your life you've had that listening. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. So you grew up during the 50s and 60s, not really a time when women and certainly not a time when Native Americans had role models in poetry as a life path. I read you said this about your calling that it was the spirit of poetry who reached out and found me as I stood there at the doorway between panic and love. When did you know that poetry was your way in? That was a shock, just like being named the U.S. Poet Laureate, because yeah. I was into painting and art like my grandmother, my Aunt Lois Harjo, and, and the idea of speaking in public or even writing my voice down was horrifying. My mm -hmm. stepfather stole my journal and started reading passages out, and I decided I would never write. Mm. I would not write anything down. But I was a student at the University of New Mexico. We were involved in native rights movements and human rights, and there was women rights. And, and at the same time, I was starting to, I realized later I was having a breakdown, but I did not have the luxury of having a breakdown because I had two young children and the, there would have been no one. I had been banished from my home for speaking the truth. Mm. So I had to walk through it. And it was around that time I was listening to, there were all of these multicultural poetry gatherings and I was listening to poetry of native, and it was the first time I heard native poets. And I thought, wow, 
we can write about our lives and they can be in poetry. And I loved poetry before that, mm -hmm. but it switched to something that was something I admired from a distance to something that was something that I could participate in. And when I, so I started writing and I wrote my way through, I wrote my way through that because I found in words were like the materials, just like the diff, all the different colors of these flowers. Mm -hmm. And that, that became my palette instead of paintbrush or, or yeah. color. But what's so interesting is there was this moment when you were eight years old when you were given the first poetry book. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I, I wanted books of poetry and my mother, uh, my mother loved poetry, mm -hmm. but, and she wrote song lyrics. But when I was asked what I wanted, I said, I want books. And my mother gave me this uh, golden book of poetry. Louis Untermeyer was one of yes. the editors. And I liked that all the voices were different. Yeah, I love that you wrote, it was singing on paper. Yes, yes. And so that was your first realization that poetry spoke to you in a way. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about your upbringing. You tell the story in Crazy Brave that is a true wonder that number one, you survived your childhood and your upbringing, mm -hmm. not to mention to survive it and now to be uh, literally held in such a claim as the uh, America's poet. So you write on page 53, this is a moment when your father was coming in and was angry all the time, and you said, it will never be right as long as you are angry, I wanted to say. But who was I to say? Because I was a child, and because I was a child, I cowered under the table to hide. When he started coming my way in anger, my cowering made him even angrier because I was not brave at all. My father would get angry. He would get angry because his mother died of tuberculosis when he was a baby, because his father beat him because he was treated like an Indian man in lands that were stolen away along with everything else. So how did that color your view of yourself? Well, I always felt bad that I didn't stand up. That he would have, I've always felt that he would have respected me more if I had stood up and fought him. But then I remember I did try to fight him when he would go at my mom mm -hmm. and that I was too small. But you were just a kid. Right, but you still. Being traumatized yes. by all of this, yes. When did you realize that those were traumatizing events that you as a child had no control over? I think I'm still realizing that. Mm. Oklahoma was the land we were moved to. It was called Indian Territory mm -hmm. um, from our lands in the Southeast. And it wasn't that long ago. I think a lot of people think history was something that happened a long time yeah. ago. But if you count generations, it was just a few grandfathers ago, a few grandmothers ago, when we were rounded up and moved illegally from our homelands in the South. Mm. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike. And that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, Destinations and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder, 
that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. And so your father had all of that rage of having the land taken away, all of that rage of being consistently disrespected and held in not high regard, mm -hmm. and now trying to raise a family on very little. Well, suddenly he had four children. And uh, I don't know, I've always tried to understand him because I think, you know, I carry a lot of him mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. I try to understand, even though, you know, I get angry at him still sometimes, even though I've forgiven him and I've, he's, he's come and talked to me and said he's proud of me. Mm -hmm. Come to talk to you in the spirit. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One reason I, it's very difficult, that was very difficult to write because I, in my work, I like to transform. I like to walk through history and, mm -hmm. and this amazing garden of living and transform what is ugly into something that will feed us and nourish us. Mm -hmm. And to have to write, and I felt like I needed to because there were people going through that. There were women going through that. There were Native women going through that. You know, people going through those moments and then we carry them with us and they keep us from, um, they keep us from being who we were meant to be. Yeah. Especially when I think about your stepfather, horrible person. Yeah. What happened to him? that caused him to be so mean and horrible. I didn't want to go to his funeral, mm -hmm. and, uh, but I went to support my mother. And I sat out in the car with his, his daughter, my uh, stepsister, who was a lot like a mother to me. She was close mm -hmm. to my mother's age. And I wanted to know what happened, how he got that way, because something, there's always a story, and there's usually a story, some kind of sordid story of abuse. Yes. And, uh, she said that he used to, uh, his mother spoiled him rotten, and that's another kind of abuse. Yeah. 
And then his father would drink every weekend, shoot, pull out guns, which must have been terrifying, and shoot around in the house and the roof. And he uh, would be seen the next morning up on the roof, patching the holes that his father had shot on the roof. Yes. And so that can send you both ways. It could send you to be a more loving and compassionate person because you grew up with that, or to turn out to be the kind of man he was to you and your brothers and sisters. So uh, I don't want to dwell on it, but I just want people to have an idea of the kind of background you came from. I love this moment where you talk about your mother separated from your birth father, and then this man started to court her because your mother was beautiful. Yeah, she, she was very beautiful. She had beautiful. the beautiful the combination of being Native American and European, European yeah. and uh -huh. the thing that people consider dazzling and exotic, your yeah. mother was. And so she attracted men easily uh -huh. and obviously knew that, right? Yeah. That she did, that she was beautiful. And this man did everything in his power to woo the family, buying you all treats and sodas and, you know, yeah. being the kind of person who's gonna show you that I love you and I love your kids. And then once he got her to say yes to marrying him and you all moved away, you knew instantly, you knew immediately, the knowing helped you to know that you were headed to a dark place. Mm -hmm. Tell us how. Well, you can, kids are really good at feeling out people. Yeah. You know what I knew? <laughs> it was when you said, um, I think the line was, um, he married our mother without the children present. Mm -hmm. So your mother has yes. all these children, and the children aren't involved in the wedding or at all. So he didn't care about that. Yes. And our whole life changed. Yes. Because our life with our mother, and even with our father there, there was always music. We had musicians at our house, yes. and my parents loved to dance. I still, it's one of my yes. favorite things. And, and that was our home. But with him in the house, all the music went away. Yes just to bring people in a bit to, to the crazy brave phenomena, when you even pulled up to the house, the spirit of the house spoke to you in a way that you knew that it was going to, terrible things were going to happen in that house, is what you say. Yes, and my mother was mowing the yard before we moved in, and she said, the yard was filled with snakes. This man is, that's a sign of someone who is evil. And then I asked my mother again, she has her own knowing, and she yeah. had a very strong knowing that this is not a good thing. And I said, then why are we coming here? And I have learned later it was because, you know, of the threats. He had threatened her. Yes. Yeah, he had threatened her and said, I will kill you and I'll kill your children. Right. Yes, and, yeah. and all that. I think there's nothing worse than being humiliated and certainly humiliated in front of other people. You were keeping a journal. You shared this a bit of this earlier and also in the book that he found your journal and was reading out loud your journal in mm -hmm. front of the entire family mm -hmm. just to embarrass you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you auditioned for play and he said you cannot be in the play. And right, for no reason. For no reason. Yeah. So it was pretty horrible. It was, but you find ways to cope. Mm -hmm. You find ways to... I, and I, then you yeah. felt like his prey, like he was always coming into the room and trying to touch you. And He was. He was always kind of... I was the one, me and... I was the one that he kind of zeroed in on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you got out. I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did. That was a saving grace. So you were in your early 20s, a single mother of two, working and attending college full-time the University of New Mexico when 
You change your major from pre-med to poetry. That's quite a left turn. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Everybody in your life told you you were foolish at the time. They questioned how you would make a living. Everybody said you should become a teacher. What gave you the inner faith to, to stick with your passion? Did you ever waver? It was that sense of this is what I had to do. And it surprised me because when poetry came to me, it was, it was in the middle of what was like a breakdown and where I was, no one knew because I could always move through. Nobody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had to count every breath. I had to count steps. This I thought, is when you were having the panic attacks. Yes, yes, and I would walk across. I had to get my kids, you know, I had to see to them and nobody knew. And it was then I started. Because you had a son I had a already, son and a daughter. And then, a, and then Rain came. Yeah, yeah. Rainy came. And it was that poetry. And I found something in writing poetry that I had not found in painting. Mm. There was something compelling. And I don't know exactly what it was because it was, it totally, I had no idea that. I didn't grow up with like a poet down the street or, you know, poets in my, you know, they were people from long ago usually. Yes, yes. But there was something so compelling and I found that I could write about what was going on with, the, with Native women, was what we were going through in these times of fighting for our rights, trying to speak out and say, we are here. You know, we're over 500 tribal nations and we are here and we're thriving and we're human beings. We are human beings. There was a study done by Illuminative recently, this organization that um, collected data on how what Americans think about natives. Mm -hmm. And would you know that a large percentage still of Americans still believe that we're not human? Really? In the United States of America yes. today? Yes. Well, you know, we of the African-American culture went through this in our history also. Yeah where there was a law that said you were not human. I did not know that was true also of yes. Native Americans. Yes, yes. How did you feel recently when Governor Newsom of California made an apology to the Native American people, particularly of California, saying that what happened in the state of California was nothing less than genocide? Well, it's important to... I'm, I applaud him for making that apology. And then what are the next steps? Yeah, what does that actually mean? Yeah, what would you like it to mean? Some kind of, I mean, the acknowledgement, I mean, what are reparations that you get the whole state, the whole yeah. state back or some kind of acknowledgement? I would ask the California native people what they would, you know, want. what it is that they would want. What does that want. mean, yeah. So World Literature Today magazine called you a seer and a mystic. How would you describe that? Would you say that is true for you? You are a seer and a mystic? I would say that poets generally are. Mm -hmm. That it's the path of being a poet. I mean, when I took on this path, and it really is a path, it means, okay, if you're going to be a poet, and, and this I've learned along the way, mm -hmm. I didn't have all of this right up front, is that you have to learn how to listen. Well, what does learning how to listen mean? It means listening beyond, listening into the challenge, listening into the pain of someone who would destroy you, 
listening into the pain of your people and 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 the you know the atrocities that have been perpetrated against native peoples and against african americans against listening into all of this that makes this story listening into that place where um, the man that you adore and love is is coming at you Mm -hmm. It's not often easy. I mean, I know it's not easy. I don't know that any path is of being a human being. But so in order to do that, certain, it is a kind of a path of a mystic because a mystic is looking into the spiritual realm mm -hmm. of being. And it is a kind of path. In a way, I think all humans are, but mystics are more focused on that. Yeah. And poetry is, if you're writing poetry, you go into that. I feel like though well, I'm like the hammer and nails, because I'll be riding along and something really cool, and it's like, whoa, that is I never heard that before. Okay, <laughs> and then I'm fitting in. There's all this other stuff that's not so, uh -huh. and then it's a process. You can see the process when someone is carving something or painting or something. painting, but that same kind of process goes on when you're writing poetry. Wow. The librarian of Congress said. Your work powerfully connects us to the earth and the spiritual world with direct inventive lyricism that helps us reimagine who we are. You, you are connected to the spiritual world. Do you see yourself yes. as oh, being connected of course. to the spiritual world? Of course, this you is do. the spiritual world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're just human, we're just having a human experience. That's yeah. right. Yes, yeah. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag, taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra sharp cheddar cheese. <sighs> we know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. One thing I know for sure is that, and I talk about this with all of our Super Soul guests, I know for sure that we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And part of these conversations is to help people to have those realizations for themselves. And you explain that by calling it the story matrix. Can you tell us what that means, the story matrix? One time in a dream, and my dreams are a lot of, some of them are just ordinary dreams and some are go to another place mm -hmm. and I travel in them. And in this dream, I was my one of my guardians took me and we stood at the edge of this realm looking. And you could see all of this energy. It's like it's all energy. Mm -hmm. It's like all music, so to speak. It's all energy. And it's moving. You could see all of the stories too, all of the stories of everyone. You could hear everyone's voices and said, Wow. And the spirit didn't have to say anything. I was just watching. And then you could see that there was a luminosity, even in the midst of the most horrible things, there is a luminosity that connects all of us. It connects everything so that everyone 
Even my stepfather is a luminous being. We get lost. It doesn't mean that I, I still have a quarrel with him, but I don't want to be attached to him forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be around, but it means sort of stepping back. And, and then there's also another place. If you step back farther, there's even more. And you step back farther and you start to see that there is no such thing as time. That really, any, we're all stories. That ultimately, that's what I come to believe after this and other times where I've seen this, is that there's not a sequential hierarchy of reincarnation. Rather, in a way, we, become, we realize that we're all stories. That your story is mine. The story of these plants here, this is, this is my story too. The stone, that's where, the stone is my story too. And so it's in a way, I think, and I could be wrong, this is just what I'm, is, is that we become all stories. And that's when we realize, we remember who we are. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm trying to see how my story is the stone story, but I, I, can, I, I can get there. I can get there. The stones are a little more slowed down to our way of moving. They're, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah, the energy's different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's slowed down so they see much more deeply in a way. They see in, in a way, I, I consider stones like the, they hold, they anchor, but they, they, we need them. Yeah, I get it because everything has its own energy feel. Yeah. I don't feel, I'm not enlightened enough to get it with the stones, but I really get it with the trees. Yes. Like trees have their own language yes, for, for, for me. Yes, they do. So in American Sunrise, you write that your grandfather was driven from his land near what is now Dadeville, Alabama. He never returned, but you did. And you write, I returned to see what I would find in these lands we were forced to leave behind. You also wrote a poem about that experience, which spans over 16 pages in the book. Could you read the first stanza to us? Yes, I can. Yeah. This poem is called Exile of... Memory. Of mem <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the poem came from, we returned, my husband, who's also my tribe, the Muscogee Creek people, mm -hmm. and we um, returned to the southeast for a job but we wanted to be there to go around to the homelands and to, to see what had happened. And I was standing there, we were thinking about leaving, and I said, what did, I asked the trees, I said, what, what did I learn here? And this whole book came. Do not return, we were warned by one who knows things. You will only upset the dead. They will emerge from the spiral of little houses lined up in the furrows of marrow and walk the land. There will be no place in memory for what they see. The highways, the houses, the stores of interlopers perched over the blood fields where the dead last stood. And then what? You with your words in the enemy's language, do you know how to make a peaceful road through human memory? And what of angry ghosts of history? Then what? Then what? And so it just came to you. This just came to you. Yes. Yeah. And the process is what? It's like what? Does it all come at one time? No. No? <laughs> I used to think that I had to write a poem all at once in one sitting, so I would sit there all day until I got it pretty close. But it's different. 
And this poem I revised, this book I have revised more than any other. I have gone back, and maybe in a way it's like coming into contact with history because it, it, the poems connect me with that love. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So last year the CDC reported that American Indians as well as Alaskan Natives have the highest rates of suicide of any racial or ethnic group in the United States. Mm -hmm. And according to the U.S. Census, nearly 30% of Native Americans live in poverty. Uh, you once said that my poems are about confronting the kind of society that would diminish Native people, disappear us from the story of this country. Do you find that too as a part of your calling? Of course it is. Of course it is. You know, I, I, I was thinking about people ask, well, what am I going to do in this position? Well, what can poetry do? And poetry gives us a way to speak. Uh, it gives us a way to at least express our thoughts so we can find pathways to healing. Mm -hmm. And healing is not, it's not a really, a, not always a pretty thing. No. You have to go through the wound. You have to, um, sometimes you got to go back several times. And, you know, the suicide, that's, you know, missing and murdered women. Epidemic. You know, where there's even, uh, the way the laws are now that, you know, non-natives can go, and they, this happens a lot in our community, they will come onto the community and rape and abuse our, our young native women, and then they, they can't be prosecuted because they're non-natives. We cannot prosecute them. To this day? To this day. And so all my poetry was born out of a sense of trying to make, trying to be helpful in the way that I know how. I have words. I have, sometimes I have mu words, music's in the words, sometimes I have music. Mm -hmm. But that is the way that I can come to helping, to help change or to help, you know, any young, any young person, you know, who, the suicide, the suicide rate in the whole country is epidemic because yes. the young, we don't feel connected. They feel, even though the internet supposedly connects you with everything, it does not. It does not connect you with your soul. And poems can, poems speak to the heart. They go to the soul or the gut or the heart of it. Right. And poetry can be there. It's often a poem, you know, a poem that will lead us, you know, out of despair. Because we go to poetry when there's a birth, when there's a death, marriage, when we're falling in love, when we're falling out of love, when uh, we want to praise this, you know, out of gratitude for this, these beautiful gifts that we've been given on this journey. Or we, we want to not praise, you know, mm -hmm. that's also part of the, that's also part of the story. Yeah. I use it to calm myself, actually. Uh -huh. Yeah, I find it as a regulating, calming mechanism. Yeah. It is like music to the soul. So it must be especially harrowing for you to witness what still goes on in your community and also to look at what's happening to children and families at, at the American border with Mexico. That's one of the biggest crimes. It is. And we have to do something about it because, you know, that's, we're all, we're all being held accountable. You say the country, our country, is in great need of deep healing, and I agree. The Washington Post described your poetry as medicine for the whole nation. And you were just saying it can be a healing force. You told the New York Times that we're at a very crucial time in American history and in planetary history. Poetry is a way to bridge, to make bridges from one country to another, one person to another, one time to another. How do we heal as a nation, as a planet? Well, 
that's a big... <laughs> I know it's big. You're that right. is a huge question. It's about listening. I mean, because if we listen, then we can hear all of that vibration, that, vi that movement yes. between in the luminosity between everyone. If we knew that we were connected, there would not be the divisiveness in the nation. If we understood the way those Muscogee Creek and Native elders had taught, taught us that we are all part of each other, that we are, everyone is related, mm -hmm. and that all the children are our children. Yeah, you would They're know that those are children. your children. You're doing that to your children. Those are our relatives. That's those right. are, there is no border. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. There's another poem in American Songwriters, Singing Everything. I love this line from it. You write, you must be friends with silence to hear. I, that's why I love being here yeah. in Maui. So, because it's so still sometimes that you can hear your own, you can hear your own heart beating. But this whole fundamental idea of you must be friends with silence to hear. Tell us what you mean by that. That line has been years and years in coming, <laughs> because as much poetry has been a really big teacher, because. My mind is constantly, I have a mind that is constantly analyzing and working. And I know it doesn't look that way, but it is always going. And I've had to learn how to stop and listen. And that can be the hardest thing, especially in a time when you feel there's so much to do in this world. There's so much and there's family and there's, you know, I, I feel, you know, young families out there, people trying to make a living and, and dealing with it, you know, just basics. And we're not given time to listen. I mean, everybody's got earbuds in, we've got our cell phones. If we stop and listen, then we're gonna realize, maybe that's the, you know, you realize what we're in. If you had a formula for the healing of America, it would be? If I had a formula, that yeah. might take me a little while. Yeah. Well, the first thing would be to, just to stop everyone, if we could just stop and listen. No argument, no political speech allowed. <laughs> mm. Only the sounds of the, these beautiful birds, the sound feel, you feel the winds coming up. Mm -hmm. They also like to be acknowledged. And Hello, to acknowledge, winds. yes. <laughs> and then, you know, gratitude. Say, okay, we're here. There's, there's a reason we're all here together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think America was created by a trickster god who says, okay, we have all of these diverse native nations here, and then we're going to bring all these diverse people from all over the world, and now let's see what happens. Mm. Let's see what you're going to do. But if we were to stop and listen, and then, okay, and then move with intention towards being kind mm -hmm. and caring, and then dealing with, okay, there's pain here. Well, let's sit at the, why don't we sit at the table and talk with each other and enjoy food? We all like each other's food and the kids can all play together out mm -hmm. back. That would have been so, the history would be so much different rather than coming in with flags and guns mm -hmm. and saying, um, you're not a human being. Yeah, and violating yeah. entire cultures. Yes. Yes. So many of your poems are so stirring. Would you read, um, Remember from your collection called She Had Some Horses? Okay. Do you remember them? Some of them I know I can do by memory. And then this one I'll do. Yeah, this is Remember. And uh, remember the sky you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon, know who she is. 
Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father, he is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are, red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth, we are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life, who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk to them, listen to them. They are alive poems. Mm. Remember the wind, remember her voice. She knows the origin of this universe. Remember you are all people and all people are you. Remember that you are this universe and this universe is you. Remember that all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember the dance that language is. Remember. Thank you, Joy Harjo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really, really love that. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.